hosts Maya Monell and Aaron Papworth, founders of the Navit Money app, the money management app that uses behavioral science to foster financial wellness. On today's episode, Aaron and I are sitting down with our investment peace of minds. We're super excited to be joined by Cheryl Nelson Boyd, who is a financial advisor and certified financial planner practitioner with over 14 years helping families, individuals, and business owners attain financial independence. Cheryl specializes in helping to meet the financial needs of working women with a focus on the unique opportunities and challenges that women in the workplace face. Through the process of comprehensive planning, she helps clients to find their values and make aligned choices with their investment objectives. She's so passionate about helping others live the full and rich lives they're working towards. We could not be more excited to have her here on the show today. You can find more about Cheryl on the show notes. We know you'll enjoy the episode and don't forget to leave us a comment and provide some feedback on how you're navigating an investment peace of mind. Cheryl, welcome to our show. We're so thrilled to have you join us today. And to get started, we'd love to give you a chance to tell our audience a little about yourself, how you landed in Ameriprise, and and what you're up to. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I know it's been a few months in the making, so thanks for sticking with me. (laughs) We're here. You are a busy busy lady. Well, my first pandemic. I don't know. I don't know if I Um, So I started with Ameriprise actually right out of college and I went into their training program on the employee side and then moved into the private practice side with a team out of Schaumburg and really shadowed that founder and her business and worked a little bit on the compliance side, which was amazing because I'm really nosy and compliance is very nosy. <laughs> so it was a great skill for a while. Um, and then I worked on these larger teams in a relationship management capacity and started to work with some of my own clients. And during the pandemic really felt like there was something weighing on my heart about what I wanted to create in this industry and the kind of practice that I felt passionate about. And so in March of this year, I made the jump and I started my own practice, which has been amazing. And Ameriprise has been the constant, you know, throughout these different phases of my career. And I'm really happy to be aligned with them because they focus so much on financial planning. And that's a core piece of my practice. So the focus now is to help families simplify their resources and build value aligned wealth so they can create meaningful legacies. A very multi-generational focus. Which we love, obviously. And I'm really excited to also kind of pick your brain and maybe actually I'll, I'll ask a little side question to your intro there. How has the conversation been with those multi-generational families around financial wellness? Like, do you see kind of having to tackle financial wellness in different ways for different generations across the family dynamic? Or are more people, more stakeholders coming to the table? Yeah, that's such a good question because I think it it definitely depends on the family and it's Mm -hmm. totally unique to everyone. Sometimes it comes from, you know, essentially who's in the kid role, thinking about their parents or wanting to like 
connect their parents in with more, whether it's holistic planning or just getting a better sense of their money or making sure that their retirement is as secure as they feel. So a lot of times that's the initial connection is I'm working Mm -hmm. with who are their kids, but they're just my clients and they're not kids to me. (laughs) Right. And then they want to make sure their parents are taken care of. On the other side of that, I'll be working with the parents. And as their kids become adults, you know, they graduate college, they get their first jobs. They want some foundational planning and just making sure that their kids are on the right track. So it's really unique to see on both sides, because I think the desire for financial wellness comes out of this very caregiving, loving, like knowing that money is the resource we all have to use and understand. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes Mm -hmm. what's really unique too about working with both sides of the generation is that you start to really see their money story and how it plays out. Like understanding, you know, if you started the relationship with the parent person, seeing how that has played out with how they've raised the kids but then also understanding how the kids are evolving their own money story and taking ownership of things, but then also being like, that's how my parents did it. And this is how I do it. And I think that's where planners have a huge responsibility to create a multi-general, let's get the right word, multi-generational experience where they understand, you know, maybe type of generation focuses more on getting information a certain way or meeting a certain way, but other generations want more simplification and more access. And so I think it, you've got to be ready to serve both. It's such a good, so good. Yeah. And you know, I love money stories. I could talk all day about money stories. What it reiterates to me that I love you to speak to a little bit is the psychology behind it, because really, those decisions are based on psychology, like money stories, emotion, mm-hmm. emotional triggers, behaviors, and the money, like the academic knowledge of how finances work, like the numbers and cents. That's like, a, do, are you are you kind of implying that that's a secondary part of it? I believe it is. So I am a certified financial planner, but I'm also a behavioral financial advisor. So my focus is around the psychology of why you make the financial decisions that you make already and how do they actually align with your goals? You know, when a client comes to me and they want to retire at 55, but they're not even maxing out their 401k, you have to bridge that gap between is this something you really want? How are you understanding the things you think you want for yourself? And then how are you creating them into day-to-day behaviors and habits that can really align you to that? Because, you know, everybody wants to be a millionaire, but we also have spending. You have to do something to get there. Yeah. And our psychology psychology and ego play a huge role in money. And so there's a big misstep, I think, sometimes in financial services of just making it this ambiguous, like, let's talk about alpha, let's talk about investing and make the markets like, it's the Wizard of Oz in a lot of ways, where really, we know everyone's making 10 to 15 financial decisions a day. You work with money so much, that relationship is a lot more important. And you're not going to get to a really aligned investing strategy if you don't figure out how you respond to money day to day and what it, how does it make you feel and why does it make you feel that way? Like, where did that come from? 
It's a little bit like therapy. I'm a big fan of therapy. Uh, you've we come to the right are. show. So yes. yes. And, and I think that, that was the perfect introduction into one of the key themes that we're talking about today, which is kind of the ever evolving ecosystem of where to put your money and how to grow your wealth. I think with the rise of retail investing and act like frankly, the jobs act and all these things that we talk about on the podcast a lot and how frankly, the democratization of access to wealth generating opportunities has, at least in our country, really never been so vast. Um, and I think with that, really, as we've seen with with our own consumers and our own base and, and audience here is, you know, that can feel really overwhelming at times. And so I really want to dive into kind of your advice and expertise on how you help people understand and align their investment goals with, um, you know, their practice and their execution of growing wealth. Um, so, you know, by diving in, how often do you think we should be reevaluating our goals and setting kind of key metrics for ourselves and for our family? Yeah. So I try to focus the majority of my relationships around an annual financial planning relationship where we have a goal setting meeting once a year just as a discipline. But then that is so movable because if your job changes or you go through a pandemic and decide that you want to do a completely different life all of a sudden, um, you need to be able to understand what that means for your money and how your money can make that happen. So I don't want to facilitate people being reactive, like, oh, let's look at our every day and decide how we feel about our life based on that. But I want people to be very grounded in where they're trying to go and what their personal economy looks like. And I believe planning is the best way to do that because we take into consideration all the factors, your cash flow, your assets, your liabilities, and then couple them with what is actually happening in your life and how is that going to evolve over time. So I think at least once year, it's a good revisit time, but then just give space for the fact that things change. You know, the I keep referencing the pandemic. I might still have a little therapy to do around it. <laughs> PTSD, like we all have. But I remember, you know, I would say February through May until things looked like a little more stable in the markets and using stable very loosely in that yeah. sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we use, there's three technology pieces that are part of my process. The first is called Total View, where clients can load any account that they have a it, like a online login for into Total View and then get a real-time update of their net worth. And you can check that every day. It's like a Fitbit for your money. Um, mm -hmm. The second piece is using goal-based advice. So our financial planning software logs in with your account. So you see your goals right away. And what we were able to do, especially in March and April, was take that new balance. You know, if this is an aggressive investor, they might have been down 40% and input it through the plan and then see what that actually means for their goal. Because it's really easy right now with, you know, the way we get information and how accessible it is to get so stressed out all of a sudden and not even really apply it to your actual situation. Just be like, I should feel really stressed out like everybody right. else is right. and we were so many unknowns so right. this really let us get our hands around like what do we actually know and what are you actually trying to do and then we can decide if there's action steps from there i think the third piece that was really powerful was understanding your time frame if mm -hmm. you had more than 10 years 
towards any goal that you were focused on, you know, at the height of all of the activity in the market, it was a great time to buy. You know, nobody runs into their favorite store and sees things on sale for 40% and runs out and is like, the world's ending. This is it. We're all, we're all to go. You buy more. And so I really want to help people facilitate some of that psychology behind how they invest. You know, if Mm -hmm. we were able to put more money to work in the market for those long-term goals, ultimately we expedited how that was going to look because we made Mm -hmm. the right decision. It's not timing the market. I am not a fan of that. Um, But it's understanding, you know, how, what is the time frame and what's your risk level? And if you are comfortable with higher risk, this is a volatile time, but it's Mm -hmm. also an interesting price point for your goal. Completely. And I think that actually leads me really well into the next question. And maybe maybe we have to like bucket the the kind of COVID and pandemic conversation and context to this question, because it's a little bit different, of course, than it has been in the last 18 months. But what are a few good examples of market signals that should indicate when it's time to take action? And how do you kind of coach people around that? Yeah, you always start with your time frame, you know, and yeah. if it is more of a short term goal, I think the market signals are a little different. Right now, we're experiencing historical highs, some recent volatility and some recent concerns around changes in the tax code, inflation, getting away from some of the news of that and understanding when do you need this money and how much does it need to be at that point helps us see, you know, okay, maybe it's time to take some gains off the table. If we've experienced like 30, 40% of growth and you're two or three years away from when you want to be financially independent or when you want to buy a house or send your kids to college, let's try to take that risk down because we know historically, we do not know the future of the market, but historically there may not be enough time to recover if there's another market event in that short period of time. So Mm -hmm. I think we wanna look at the signals on both sides. When we're in market highs, how far away are we from the goal? And when we're in market lows, if we have that timeframe, that 10 plus years, maybe it's time to put a little bit more money to work, Um, especially for investors that are active in their employer plan and you can ratchet up from a 10% to a 30% savings for a few months. You might max out your 401k a little faster, but you are taking advantage of some short-term things. Completely. And I I always try and put myself in in your shoes a little bit here as we're we're thinking up the questions. And I can't imagine now coming, speaking back to the pandemic or even any time in in terms of volatility and a downturn. I mean, do you just, are you constantly putting out fires with your clients who think that they need to be more active in their trading strategy? Like, I just feel like with the rise of retail investing, everybody again feels like they can trade or at least think that they can have more, they should have more of a say over what's going on day to day. And I'm kind of curious on how you mitigate that and, and what you tell them about. Yeah. I eat a lot of Italian food to be told. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> it is a little, I mean, it is, there is a, a stress experience. I think any planner has when you are the one recommending, let's do this type of strategy. And then you watch it go up and down because you're like, hmm, 
okay, we're good. We're still good, right? Everyone's good. But the core of the relationship is really sitting on the same side as your clients and, you know, understanding like, okay, we, I didn't want you to lose money either. That's not the goal here. But why do you feel like that's going to change your situation, your ability to achieve what you want, or your alignment with your investments? And I think I do. I mean, a lot of my clients, we've been working together for over a decade. So this was our second crazy market event once in a lifetime. I felt like some of those conversations were a lot easier because they already had the experience of recovering and staying invested. And, and that's where I feel like the technology helped so much being able to show them in real time. Like this is not an event for your personal economy. This is an event for a broader audience that you Mm -hmm. don't have the same impact as. And Mm -hmm. when people, you know, we are human nature is, uh, predictable. So when we know that something is in our best interest, it's a lot easier to mm-hmm. do it. And yeah. like younger investors that maybe this was their first big market event, this is a huge learning experience, but it's where the value of an advisor is really highlighted. Because if you were just doing the trading and the buy or buying and selling on your own, and then maybe you missed things or, you know, you took on losses that you didn't necessarily need to. There is some education there that that needs to happen and some support that you might need to grow into a more experienced investor. And so it's a really good time to check back on your own behavior and see what did that make you feel like? And, you know, there's a difference between clarity of thought and clarity of action. So we can always have the thoughts of like, well, I thought the world was ending and I thought I was going to be broke and I thought I was going to have to move back in with my parents in my retirement. Were they still alive? I don't know. We can have all those thoughts. But then what did you actually do? Did you make any changes to your investments at that time? And if you did that signals that maybe they had too high of a risk level to begin with, or you needed more context and more support. Most of those decisions to sell out when we're down 40, 50% are very difficult to recover from. So I think a lot of times it's about context and resources and people need access to their advisor. You know, if you, you went through a big correction like that and there were calls and emails that were missed like that's not the right experience that's not what it's supposed to be so yeah completely and you spoke a little bit about risk and i want to dive into that a little bit because i can imagine that everybody's risk a lot of people's risk tolerance have evolved in the last uh few months but when our risk tolerance does evolve because of you know a macro event or frankly just because of like the course of our life, right? I mean, I would imagine that as we get older, our tolerance for risk does go down. So how should we go about evolving that uh, investment strategy as we kind of age into or experience new new things? And I would love you to speak to both the psychology and the financials, which you are, obviously, you're integrating both of those, but it's also a mental game too. So please speak to both. Oh, couldn't say it better myself, Erin, because I, you know, when I was initially starting and going through the CFP education and understanding like, okay, here's how that looks, you know, there's that old rule of taking your age and subtracting it from a hundred and that should be your fixed income to equity. And I worked with a client who just completely 
evolved my concept of that because she's very aggressive and she's one of my oldest clients, um, both in like the tenure of our relationship and her actual age. And she's Mm -hmm. not more aggressive now than she was 14 years ago, but very aggressive and she's in Mm -hmm. retirement and her perspective helped me evolve my own perspective of what do we need and when do we need the money, of course, and where are the income sources? If I'm spending $60,000 a year and I'm getting, you know, 50000 from income sources or, you know, whatnot, I only need to take 10000 off of my portfolio. So a portion of my portfolio should be income-based and more conservative, but there's an entire other portion that can still have risk and growth. And so really helping people divide out like what are the assets they're using and what are the assets that are for your future and and need to have different growth because of the different factors inflation being a big one but just how your cost of living will change over time and other factors that come in so i think understanding the investor is really important and to the psychology question if I have clients that are very reactive, you know, over these past two market events that we've now experienced, it would never be appropriate for them to be in an aggressive strategy, even if their goals suggested that they needed a higher level of risk. Their own response to fluctuations in the market means that it's not going to work out. Like we can start with an aggressive portfolio, but that might cause you so much stress that it'll actually trigger behaviors that'll make that goal less achievable. So it's Mm -hmm. better to have a more moderate or conservative strategy and increase your savings or adjust your lifestyle expenses, find a different aspect of your personal economy that you control, because then, you know, you will have an easier experience, hopefully an easier experience with your money. I also think it's really important for investors to understand what looks like an aggressive portfolio in 2021 is very different from what it looked like in 2011, because now we have cryptocurrency, we have all this retail investment access, so people are doing more individual stocks. The international markets have evolved significantly. What what was once an emerging economy is now more of an established economy. So different things need to be integrated into your portfolio over time as you continue to stay aligned with your risk level. But as you introduce some of these newer asset classes or newer companies or whatever it looks like, understand, you know, maybe you are 10 years older. And so if that doesn't work out, there's going to be a different implication for your portfolio. And can you stay Mm -hmm. aggressive with something that's more unknown? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a really good question. And I actually want to poke on that a little bit. These are unknowns, right? Like, I mean, crypto Mm -hmm. and also access. I mean, it's been very nice. I think the Jobs Act allowing us to have access to retail investing in real estate. Um, Maya, Maya loves talking about that because that's her thing. Um, but I, I also agree. So what what do you do in a sense in as just kind of like looking at moderate, low and high risk of mm-hmm. like aggressive models? What do you do with new things like that? Like, do you wait until they're, do you play? Do you wait until they're more established? Do you you know, yeah. we've been watching, it's changed a lot in the last 10 years and regulators are starting to kind of agree, companies are integrating crypto. So I'm curious of how you've watched a new asset class evolve and what your thoughts are. 
But yeah, that's such a good question. Um, and it really depends on the day, honestly, what my thoughts are. I think the most important piece is that I have a fiduciary responsibility for every dollar that I oversee. And so if I cannot recommend something as a fiduciary, which means I can prove that it is in your best interest using third-party research, using the due diligence of our platform, then it doesn't get cleared into the portfolio. And so a lot of times, crypto is a great example, there isn't regulation yet, and there is not third-party research. So it doesn't screen into the portfolios. Now, does that mean people aren't interested in it? Absolutely not. Back to human nature. like human nature and ego, we all want right. the whole thing. And right. so it's really about talking through, you know, I can't recommend it. You're fully aware of that. And if this is something that you want, I mean, that even happens a lot with IPOs. If this is something right. that you feel is important in your strategy, here's where we can take on some risk. Here's what it looked like in the big picture. And, you know, if this went to zero, what would that experience be like for you? And I am not saying that any of those asset classes are going to zero anytime soon. We are in a digital economy. Things are going to evolve quickly. And I, I am hopeful that the regulation and the access will continue to improve for people so that they can get, you know, advice from someone besides Elon Musk. <laughs> I mean, yes. But I couldn't agree that. more. You know, my question, sorry, last question. Like that last statement of what would it be like if that went to zero? I think that's the key question. And then you can do all the psychology and, and math around it. Right. But that's right. really powerful. And I think something like I, I love the crypto conversation because I remember going to my own advisor years ago, or now, yeah, a few years ago, being like, hey, this is happening. I'm into it. How Get do we engage? Board. Yeah, like I am your annoying client, Cheryl. <laughs> uh, but but you know, I think he gave me great advice, and I've now actually applied that to a bunch of different kind of emerging um, emerging tech resources. Is actually investing in the back end infrastructure that is an established kind of you know public company um, that's helping to facilitate some of these emerging trends. Um, right. And at least for my for my own self, and I'm not giving advice, I'm just it's speaking to my own experience, that's always been a helpful guide because then you, you kind of like, you gain um, some level of confidence and authority and understanding of like how the ecosystem will look if, for example, crypto does become, you know, a durable and it's it's right. becoming so, uh, you know, currency. Um, and I think that it's always fun to get your feet wet in like less risky areas that might pertain to the trend that you're seeing on CNBC that day. Right. Well, and I think that like, if this goes to zero, how does that feel? We want to talk about both sides of that. You know, if this goes to 500 a share right. or there is some room always for opportunity and risk with investors and they just need to decide where does this align in my portfolio and you know that is more my job i'm your fiduciary i want you to see the big picture i want you to take on appropriate levels of risk for your goals and there are some limits to how mm -hmm. what and what that looks like. But those limits are not, they're always changing and evolving. I feel like new things get introduced to the investor. I mean, right now it feels like every day. So yeah, completely. it's really understanding where it fits. And I think another piece that I noticed last year that I'm loving is, is that value alignment with your investments, understanding like where my money goes, if it goes into an index fund or a mutual fund or an individual stock, 
I am a part of what that business is doing. And mm-hmm. so I don't agree or it doesn't align with my actual like core values. We will become, I believe that people become disconnected to their money over time because yeah. there is that core piece. And so mm-hmm. there's so many ways now to, you know, socially responsible investing means something different to every single person that wants to do it. That's the beautiful thing about it because then you can really execute something that not only do you feel like your investments are rooted in your goals and rooted in your risk, but now there's an alignment with your values too. So your money is actually making the world a better place, hopefully the way you want making the world a better place. This always makes me think we're going to have to bring Cheryl back to talk about your role as a shareholder, because I always think that this is so interesting. I mean, you know, people don't realize that they can actually have a say in how these public companies are addressing key topics. Um, ExxonMobil, you know, recently, we're we're now dating the episode by me bringing that up, but ExxonMobil, you know, a few weeks ago, got rid of a few of their... um, their board members because yep. of the power of really like peer-to-peer influence and shareholder right. investment who got BlackRock involved and and then they shook up the, the board. So yeah. anyway, it's well, you have more power than you think you do. Exactly. I, really I mean, and you get proxies or you get these yeah. statements if you have a 401k, if you have right. an IRA, like you will always be invited to the table. Right. And I right. think that's where we're finally seeing momentum around now retail investors have access. So mm-hmm. it's not just, you know, what the industry looked like even 10 years ago. There's diversity of thought, there's diversity of all kinds of things. And these companies are being held accountable. Right. And accountability, like it it's a double-edged sword for sure, but it's a good thing. Like we yeah, want really. accountable. Mm-hmm to what they're doing in the world. We all are the future. Like it, it is the future, which is so fascinating. Between ESG, like young young populations being very clear about social impact investing and yeah. this access and like realizing how, it is only the future and it's gonna be so exciting to watch. It is exciting. So I have two kids and our youngest is four and at their school, they compost. And you know, I, I don't like germs and I don't like gross things, so. You know, we weren't doing it initially, full confession, but he came home and was like, where's the compost bin, mom? And I'm like, it was one of the most like memorable. I know this will just happen for the rest of my life now, where it's like this second, this next generation is watching what you're doing and has questions about composting. So now we compost. Now you compost. (laughs) And it's over there. And thanks a lot. (laughs) Making me a better person, but if I see one fruit fly... Uh-uh. It's over, Dead. especially <laughs> as we come into summer. It's over. Uh, well, Cheryl, this has been this has been so enjoyable. Thank you so much for walking us through how to stay kind of mindful of our investment strategy and see the whole picture. Uh, we, of course, want to take you through a rapid fire round, which we do with every guest. Uh, they. Your answers can be quick and fun, uh, just like downloading the Navit app. So shameless plug in there. Go download Navit uh, in your local app store. Uh, Cheryl, I don't, I don't even know which one of these questions is my favorite. I feel like that depends on the day. But let's start things out with what money stereotypes do you think society must overcome? Uh, when you sent me this, I practically screamed it out loud. Uh, I would like everyone to in the entire universe 
including if there are people on other planets to understand women are great with money. Yes. yes, all of the class for that. Women are great investors. Women are great earners. You know, I see, and I've seen so much change. You know, I feel like the old wizened advisor coming from, but I've seen so much change in the last 10 years of how women become empowered. And we need generational context. Like we are not the first generation, but it, there's definitely more momentum where two fam, like if you're a two parent household, both are working both are earning, you know, and what we saw, I know we tabled the pandemic, but just real quick. No, no, we bring it back. It's fine. Just for that one question. Yeah, just real quick. Yeah. We, we saw this mass exodus because of the caregiving responsibility. And now we're seeing what I think another wave of people realizing, like, what am I going back to work to do? And so I think that will really help the conversation for women if we are making it more about, like, what does it look like for the family life and and for everybody's life whether you have a family or you're single like what does work look like for you and what is this money that you're earning actually for and what does it facilitate in your life and so yes Yes. a little bit of a rant but i would definitely scream from the rooftops that women are great with money that stereotype that we don't understand it or that's something someone else does whether it's like a father, a husband, a, another friend, like money is something you do. You're doing it every day, yes, whether you right. want to or not. So, yes. and you could be great at it. I truly could not agree more. Erin is, <laughs> is about to go <laughs> sing it from the rooftops. <laughs> um, yes. We will, we will be canceling Erin's meetings for the rest of the day. We'll <laughs> <laughs> be on a high. Sneaky bumper stickers, or they're not bumper stickers, yeah. but like on my water bottle and all this. And like, I just want to make sure people know. Yeah. Just as just a quick reminder. Yeah. <laughs> Did you forget? You're amazing at it. And that's where, again, I mean, plug for Navit, plug for advisors. I think Navit is such an incredible app to see what's happening for you psychologically and emotionally around your money. And then finding an advisor who can put those pieces together and say, like, okay. This stresses you out because maybe money was stressful for you growing up or in your household. You yeah. personally don't feel stressed around money. You can feel empowered by it. And right. bringing all that together is exactly what a good planner should do. Couldn't agree more. Yes. Love that. So, uh, so second question in this rapid fire round, how do you define a healthy money mindset? Uh, with a tremendous amount of grace towards yourself and understanding of human nature. I think healthy money mindsets evolve and let it be where you're at. You know, sometimes you're going to feel like the master of the universe, like watch out Warren Buffett, because here I come. I'm so good at money. And look out, it's going to come to me. And then some days, you know, you something changes, something unexpected happens, or you make a bad financial decision. And it takes some time, like all our bad decisions to move it through. And what happens a lot of time with money is that we feel like we think we're ignoring it, but we're actually just belaboring it. Feeling only last, you know, a few seconds, but then if we create a story and a narrative around it, that can last your entire life. So I think 
the healthiest thing you can do with your money mindset is understand what it is and have some grace for where that is at in the Mm -hmm. moment. I I was so excited to ask you that question and I'm so filled with joy in your response. So, (laughs) (laughs) and lastly, lastly, when was the last time you nabbed something financially and how did you do it? Okay. Well, now we're in confessions. Um, So uh, when I started my practice, Mm -hmm. it is different to be a business owner than to work as an employee. And it means different things for your entire financial picture, Mm -hmm. which technically I'm an expert in, but uh, sometimes the cobbler needs new shoes. Yep. I had to really reevaluate where cash flow was going, understanding like what needs to be invested in the business what goes towards my silent partner, Uncle Sam, who I can't fire or fire. Yeah. It's like, he's going to want that money. What goes there? And I think the biggest thing I felt like I was navigating, is that the word? Navigating. Navigating, yeah. Was around my own retirement savings. You know, I have had kids, like back to back, there was a lot of change that went on. And in many ways, even though I kept like some discipline around it, I've pushed it aside a little bit. And so Mm -hmm. focusing on, okay, I'm not in a 401k, there's no match, like, this is my ship to the sale. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think people need to understand that too. Planners are like we have our own money narratives. We have our own stuff. Like a lot of times I tell clients, like I'm in this work with you. I don't, I don't look at you from one way or the other right. I'm down from any kind of tower. I'm right next to you in the weeds. So. I love that. Um, so and we are so grateful that, yeah, we at Navit are so grateful you're right next to us in the weeds too. So I'm Cheryl. <laughs> Cheryl, thank you so much for joining us today for another uh, episode of the Navit podcast. We just can't wait to have you back. Uh, And do you want to tell everybody where they can find out more about you? And if they're looking for a financial planner, we couldn't recommend a more capable one right here. Thank you so much. That is so wonderful. It is an honor to join you guys and to be able to talk through this. And I love it so much. And finding other women that love it as much as I do is the true joy of my heart. So thank you for the perfect way to kick off the weekend. Um, so that's where my name is on LinkedIn. That's where I do most of my social media uh, things. Or I know, and I know. It's for the younger generation, I'm sure, but LinkedIn. Um, and then I also have a financial wellness website with tools and articles just to get some foundational understanding that we can link in the show notes as well. As we will. Uh, again, we're so grateful to have you on. We can't wait to have you back. And until then, I can't wait for your next Navit story. <sighs> I don't know what it's going to be. <laughs> It'll be great. All right, Cheryl. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much. Thanks, Cheryl. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Care to continue the convo? You can connect with fellow navigators in the app or on our Let's Navit Facebook page. Oh, and be sure to get social with us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Let's Navit. That's L-E-T-S-N-A-V-I-T. And finally, wherever you're listening to this podcast, It would really help us if you would take a minute to rate, review, and subscribe. That's it for today's episode. Until next time.
Let's nab it.